0: Well, what is up, Emmanuel? How you feeling today? Pretty good? Excited to be here? Well, we are wrapping up a series today called Closer Than Ever. And what we've been talking about in this series is drawing close to God. Closer than you've ever been before. And so if you're a guest with us here today, this is actually week number four. Uh, but you, if you want to catch up and kind of see where we've been in the first three weeks, you can do that on the podcast or in our church app. You can watch those sermons if you'd like to. That's why we put those on there if, you're, if you missed in the last couple of weeks or if you're with a guest, a guest with us today. And uh, we've been spending time in the book of Psalms. Psalms chapter, uh, sorry, chapter thirty-four of the book of Psalms. We've been using that as our guide to kind of learn how to draw closer to God. And King David was a man after God's own heart. Uh, he wasn't perfect. He made a lot of mistakes. He he committed a lot of sins. Uh, but yet, nevertheless, he seemed to be able to walk close to God. So in Psalm thirty-four, we see him telling us how to do it, and we see him describing it what it looks like uh, to be close to God. In this series, I started by asking you to give yourself a grade. On a scale of one to ten, we said, you know, one says, "I'm really far from God. We never talk. You're lucky I'm in church. I never pray. Nothing like that. I'm a really good sinner. Uh, don't plan on changing." And that's that's like a one. And number ten is, "Man, we I pray all the time. I seek the Lord. I'm in His Word every day. I I get direction from Him. He's guiding my life." And that's a ten. I ask yourself. To, I ask yourself to give yourself a grade, and our hope in this series is that you would move from, I don't know, a two to a five, or a three to a six, or a four to an eight, and just draw closer to God. So, has it helped you draw closer to God in the last three weeks? Anybody? Okay, all right, just a couple people down front here. Everybody else, you're just far from God. (laughs) Far away from the stage, far away from God. I'm just kidding, just kidding. Didn't a little bit. Okay, anyway. (laughs) <laughs> so, so the, and we added this 21-day fast because we said, hey, fasting is this idea of denying your body food for a certain period of time for a spiritual purpose. And it connects us to God in ways that, in, that we they normally can't connect to God. And, and so we've been doing that. Some of you chose to do a media fast, a movies fast. I had a friend who did an eBay fast. No eBay shopping for 21 days. I think he made it. We'll see if he makes it today. Today's the last day. Uh, Anyway, uh, so yeah, it's denying yourself something for a period of time for a spiritual purpose. And so hopefully that's been a help to you and a catalyst. Next year, we're planning on doing the 21-day fast again. Would you like to do that again next year? Some of you are like, didn't do it this time, not doing it next year. (laughs) Uh, So, well, we're going to give you a little bit more time to plan, and I think it'll be a very meaningful, uh, meaningful time for you. So, so today, what are we going to talk about today? We're going to talk about another way to draw closer to God. We've already talked about treasuring God, seeking God. Last week we talked about fearing God, making his opinion the ultimate concern in our life and how that helps us to become, uh, get closer to God. The friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him as we learned that last week. And so today we're going to talk about this idea of pain. If we want to wa- walk closer than we ever have before, we're going to have to allow pain to do something to us. And that is humble us humble us. We all have pain in our life. Things come up, there's disappointment, there's a cancer, someone in our life dies, we have a child who is disobedient or rebellious or something like that, or maybe we have a job situation, we've been overlooked, or someone has done us wrong. Uh, We all have pain in our life. There's accidents that take place, and so pain is unavoidable. David says in Psalm 34 verse 18, watch this, he says that the Lord is near, the Lord is close. Remember this, in this series we're talking about how to get closer than ever to God. The Lord is close or he's near to those who are, say it with me, broken hearted. The Hebrew word simply means to be broken into pieces. Has your life ever been broken into pieces? Some of you would say right now, Danny, that's my life right now. Something has happened. Some type of pain has entered my life and and I feel like my life is in pieces. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted, and he saves, he delivers, or that this is the, the Hebrew word saf, for salvation. He brings salvation or deliverance to those who are crushed in spirit. This word is a little bit more descriptive. It actually means, the Hebrew word is daka, and it, it means to be crushed to, into powder. Just to give you a picture, an idea of what I'm talking about here, picture that this is your life right here. I love breaking stuff on stage. It's fun. Down front here, just protect your eyes. You don't want any shards of something to hit you. But I, I wanted to give you an image so you'll never forget what this Hebrew word means, broken hearted, and I love to swing sledgehammers as well. You ready for this in the front row? This is your life, and this is what happens sometimes. Nice, it's so exciting. Let's do another one, do another one. Nice, all right. This, my friends, honestly, this is what happens to our life sometimes. In fact, this is going to happen to your life. It's unavoidable. There's something that's going to happen to you. Someone's going to die. There's going to be a cancer. There's going to be a problem. There's going to be a firing. There's going to be something that happens. And this is going to be your life. Thankfully, it's not always like that, but it's, it's like that. The Bible simply says that the Lord is near the brokenhearted. It also says something else interesting in Psalm 46. Listen to these words. That God is a refuge and a strength. And he is a very present help in times of, say it with me, trouble. Your life is going to have some trouble. And God simply says, here's here's the deal. I am going to be a very present help for you. Those of you who have children or have had children or grandchildren, you know that there's a time where the training wheels have to come off of the bike, right? Yes, you've been there? And as a father of three, I've had this experience three times. We took the training wheels off and now I'm holding the back of the bicycle and I'm running up and down the block, right? And then there's a moment there where you have to let go and then what do you do when you let go? You run and you do this, right? As you're running. Have you, have you been there? Now, that, I don't know what that was. That wasn't running. But, uh, but, but you run, and you have your, and you have your arms out. And, and why do you have your arms out? Because you, you know that there is going to be some trouble for your kid. Because they've never done this before. And guess what's going to happen? You know that they're going over And when they go over, there's going to be some, some skin off the knee or the elbow or maybe even the teeth. The teeth could come out. And so you're worried about the dentist. And so you are there because the dentist is expensive. Are you with me? <laughs> and so you're going and you're, and you're trying and you're, you're a very present help to your children in times of trouble. And some of you are still doing that and your kid's 25. You need to quit it it's time to let him fall (laughs) a little bit okay different sermon for a different day I won't go there this is what life looks like sometimes and the Bible says that God is a very present help now this makes sense to me because God is compassionate he's loving and he cares about you just like you care about your kids yes or no but then I got to thinking about this I don't know if this has ever happened to you when you're writing a sermon and you realize that your sermon your sermon isn't true your sermon's not working. I had that moment this week. I was writing my sermon. I thought, oh, wait a second. This sounds really nice. And in fact, let's go back to verse 18. The Lord is, is close to the brokenhearted, and he saves those who are crushed in spirit. And I thought, that sounds good, but it ain't true. Ever happened to you when you're writing your sermons? <laughs> and I, thought, I started to think, there are lots of people that, that I have seen, because I'm a little older now, I've seen this happen to them, and they're very far from God, and God seems to be very far from them, because the thing that broke them drove them away from God. You know anybody like this? In fact, they used to come to church. They're not here today because of this. Something happened And they said to themselves, if God were real, if God loved me, if he cared about me, he would have have helped me avoid this. This wouldn't have happened, but it did. And because it did, I'm out of here. I don't go to that church anymore. I don't even have faith anymore. So I got to thinking about that, that that's actually true. That, That a breaking, a shattering, does not automatically mean that God and you are going to be close. Yes or no? So here's what's true in your notes there. The pain that breaks your heart, the thing that happens, the the thing that shatters your life, all it does is create the opportunity. That's all it does. It creates the opportunity for God to draw close to you and for you to draw. It's not a guarantee. It's not automatic because we as human beings have this thing called free will. We get to choose our response. Have you ever heard somebody say, you can get bitter or you can get better? Yes? Yes? That's free will. That's me. That's you saying, man, this hurts right now. This is painful right now. She just cheated on me. He just cheated on me. I just caught him with pornography. I did that. Oh, and the pain comes, right? I get to choose. You get to choose the response to that pain. It's not automatic. We have this thing called free will. Pain can either harden our heart against God, against people. There are some people that just hate people. It's amazing. It's amazing. People hate people because their hearts, because of pain, their hearts have been wounded. It's hard, and, and then and they see other, they don't care about other people. Their hearts have been hardened by pain. You know anybody like this? Is it you today? And then there's people that the pain, they choose to let the pain humble them and bring them low. And the people who allow pain to humble them, they get the benefit of being close to God. Listen to the prophet Isaiah, Isaiah 57. The high and lofty one lives in eternity. The holy one says this. This These are the words of God through the prophet Isaiah. I live in the high and holy place with those whose spirits are daka. Same Hebrew word, contrite, crushed, pulverized. But not just those who've had this happen. No, no, not just those who've had a breaking, but those whose spirits are contrite and, say it with me, humble. The breaking humbled them. The breaking brought them low. It didn't harden their heart towards God. It softened their heart towards God, and that's the person that God draws near to. He continues, the prophet says this, I restore the daka, the crushed in spirit, and the humble, and I revive the courage of the repentant heart. See, if you and I are going to enjoy a closeness, a tenderness with God, an intimacy with God, the pain has to bring us low. It has to humble our hearts and not harden our hearts. So here's the question. I know you're asking because you're, you're intelligent people. You're asking the question, well, how do I do that? How do I let pain humble me? Aren't you asking that question? It's a great question. And here's the answer to that question. You have to see God in the pain. You must have eyes to see God in the pain. C.S. Lewis helped me with this. Years ago I read, I read this. Lewis said, here's the deal. God will whisper to you in your pleasures. He will. He'll talk to you in your pleasures. You ever, you ever have a, a piece of cheesecake? Now cheesecake sounds good to me right now. In fact, my mouth is watering. And you eat it and you go, holy. Cow, that's good. And God says, if you like that, wait till you taste some of my heavenly cheesecake. Right? He whispers to us in our pleasures. He speaks to us in our conscience. He, He talks to us. Hey, don't do that. Don't do that. Come on, that's wrong. You know better than that. He talks to us in our conscience. But then Lewis says this. He shouts to us in our what? In our pain. In fact, it's his megaphone to rouse or wake up a deaf world. See, you and I need to be woken up. And God uses pain to wake us up and speak to us. See, God is either the author of pain, which he is sometimes, or he allows pain. Otherwise, it wouldn't touch our lives. You with me? Yes or no? He, sometimes he authors it like he did in Joseph's life. He allowed Joseph's brothers to sell him into slavery. First, they threw him in a pit. They wanted to, leave him for, they wanted to kill him. Remember he had those dreams? Oh, you guys are going to bow down to me one day. <laughs> and they're like, oh, yeah, well, we hate you. We're going to kill you. Okay? And so they take Joseph. They throw him in a pit. And then they sell him into slavery. And then he, one thing leads to another. He gets accused of raping Potiphar's wife and goes to jail for two years. Innocent man. You talk about pain. Who's behind all that pain? Who was orchestrating? Who was the author of the pain in Joseph's life? you got to read the story. Genesis 39 to 50. you got to read it. One thing leads to another. There's a famine in the land. God uses Joseph to make sure there's enough food for everybody in Egypt and outside of Egypt. Joseph's brothers who threw him in the pit, sold him into slavery, come back to him. And guess what? Joseph is now number two in all of Egypt. He's in Potiphar's house. He's the man. <laughs> Listen to what Joseph says to his brothers. Guys, bro, Fellas. You intended to harm me, but listen, here's the deal. God intended all of this pain in my life for good. Sometimes God's the author of pain, and you have to have eyes to see. If you're going to allow pain to bring you low instead of harden your heart and push you away from God, you have to understand that sometimes, not all the time, sometimes he is actually the one behind the pain trying to draw you closer to himself. And then sometimes he's not the author of pain. There's these things called other people. (laughs) Have you ever been around a few few of them? You know, they double-cross you or cheat on you or hurt you. or They hurt your kids. Ooh, you want to mess with somebody, you just hurt their kids. Right? And then they cause pain in your life. And then there's the whole spiritual realm, like the devil and his demons. You know what I'm talking about? We don't talk about them a lot because we don't like them. But they're real. And they have a will, and they mess with you, and they, th- and they throw temptation in your life, and they screw with you, and all. I shouldn't have said that. <laughs> they mess with you. <laughs> and they cause pain. So you got the devil, and the demons, you got other people, and, but here's the deal. Even if it's other people, even if it's the devil, that pain is still allowed to come into your life by who? Come on. That's either true or not true, Okay. And if it's not true, he's not, then God is not sovereign. God's not in control. And this whole thing, we just need to shut the doors. This is a waste of time. If God's not in control, ultimately. But it is true. and God allows the pain to come into our life. Romans 8, 28 tells us this. And we know that God causes, say it with me, come on a little bit louder. He, he causes everything. some things, just a few things, just the good things. How about the bad things? How about everything? God causes Everything to work together for the good of those who love him and for those who are called according to his purpose. Wow, what an astounding truth. Irredeemable harm or pain never enters into the life of a Christ follower, never. God is always at work. And therefore, guess what? You and I can trust him. We can see him in the pain, whether he authored it or whether he allowed it. Now I can allow the pain in my life to bring me low. Uh, the Apostle Paul did this perfectly. He was writing about a situation that happened in his life that was terrible. It was stressful. It, it, was, it, was, a, it was a huge uh, experience of pain. He actually doesn't even say what it is. He just describes it, and then he describes the result. Listen to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Paul says this. We, don't, we want you to know, or we don't want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the, say it with me, the troubles, the pain that we experience in the province of Asia. And Then he tells us, watch this. We were under such great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure. We had no more strength left, so that we despaired of life itself. In other words, they looked at each other and said, fellas, (laughs) this is where we die. Right here, right now, we got nothing left. He says, in fact, indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death. This was the last day for us. That's how bad the situation was. And then the Apostle Paul tells us why He thinks God allowed this situation to take place. But this happened that we might not, say it with me, rely, trust in ourselves. And that is our issue. We are a bunch of control freaks who rely upon ourselves. We think we're self-sufficient beings. And there's only one self-sufficient being in the universe. Who is it? It's not you. It's God. Self-sufficient, independent being. God. Not you and not me. We are dependent, reliant beings, and God allows pain to come into our lives to wake us up to that idea and say, I need to stop trusting in myself, but rather in God, who does what? He puts this little thing on the end here who raises the dead. You ever raise raise somebody from the dead? Me neither. That'd be a pretty cool power. God raises the dead. He's got the power to do the miraculous. That's who we should be trusting in. That's who we should be relying upon. And so what God does is he allows pain to come into our life to teach us to stop relying upon ourselves and put our reliance upon God who does the impossible. You know, I have, my wife was a, uh, she was a lifeguard and for a couple of summers. And uh, you probably know a lifeguard or two in your life. Uh, I spent two summers at a sleepaway camp. Um, and so there was a lake there. So I was pretty familiar with the lifeguards. And um, what they teach the lifeguards is so interesting. When someone is drowning in the lake or in the pool, they teach the lifeguards to let them almost drown. Did you know that? Someone's out there and they're 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 calling out for help and they're splashing. The lifeguards are supposed to swim out to them and wait, wait until they kind of almost die. This is amazing to me. Did you? I find do you not find that fascinating? Because when they almost die, here's what they do. They give up and they start to sink, right? And that's when the lifeguard is supposed to come in behind and rescue that person because they have surrendered their will. And then they teach the lifeguards that if the person kind of comes back to life and starts to flail and grab again, they teach the lifeguards to push the person away again so that they could drown. No, not so they can drown but push them away again, back up, tread water, and then when they finally come to the the end of their strength, then the lifeguard comes back in, grabs hold, and starts to coach them in the ear and say, I got you, it's gonna be okay, I got you, stop fighting, stop fighting, I got you. And then the person's ready to be saved, rescued, and delivered. Dallas Willard said it this way, you want a God's address? How do you find God? How do you get close to God? God's address is the end of your rope. Many of you are nowhere near the end of your rope. You still got this. I got this. I got this parenting thing. I got this job thing. I got this. And as long as you're, I got this, which, by the way, is pride, you're not going to be close to God. You're not going to be as close to God as he would like you to be. See, what God's trying to do with you and me is to get you to come to the end of your rope so that he can work with you to fulfill his will. Now, some of you are hearing me and say, well, how does that work? I've I've got I've got a big job, a lot of responsibility. I've got these kids to raise. I've got this classroom to deal with. I've got, you know, I'm a police officer. I've got criminals to catch. I've got, I've got, I've got, I get it. I get it, I get it. I'm not suggesting one second that you sit at home and pray and do nothing. Jesus, will you help me? <laughs> Would you do this for me? Kind of give him orders and let him do all the work. I'm not suggesting that one second. Here's what I'm suggesting, that you get up every day and you do what you are called to do and the job that God has given you to do and you do it with all of your energy and you do it with all of your strength and you do it with all of your wisdom and all of your passion. Just don't trust yourself while you're doing it. Do you see it? Just don't rely upon yourself as you're doing the work. There is a way to do work. There is a way to parent children. There is a way to fix a financial problem. There is a way to fix a problem in your workplace where you're using all of your faculties and all of your energy and all of your experience and all of your wisdom, but you're not trusting in yourself, but in him who raises the dead totally different way to live. It's an eternal type of life. You still do your job. In fact, you may do it better, because it's not you by yourself. It's you and Jesus working together. Isn't that beautiful? That's where God's taking us. In fact, when I ask this question as I wrap this thing up, why, why does God love humble people? Like, why is he magnetically drawn to a humble person? Like, what's the, what is it? I'm, I'm the one who lives in the high and holy place with those who are contrite and humble in heart. I save those who are crushed in spirit, and I dwell with the humble. Why, God? Why do you resist the proud and give grace to the humble? Like, what is it about humble people that you just can't stay away from them? What is it? Here's the deal, ready? Watch this. God wants to partner with you. He wants to part, listen, the prayer Jesus gave us, listen carefully please, the prayer Jesus gave us in Matthew 6, he said, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Do you think that God has an agenda in this world, yes or no? I mean, it's in the very prayer he told us to pray that I've got stuff to do. There's people I want to bless. There's problems I want to fix. There's injustices that need to be done, made right. And guess what I want to do? I want to partner up with some people. And I can't partner up with proud people because proud people think they're in control. And proud people are going to take the glory. And proud people are going to try to do it by themselves. I can't work with proud people. I need people who are going to rely upon me. I need humble people that have been crushed, And the crushing has led them to humility, which has led them to the end of their rope, which is really the end of self-reliance. Are you with me today? The end of self-reliance. It doesn't mean you stop working. It doesn't mean you don't bring everything you got to work every single day. No, 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 no. It just means that you are not trusting in yourself for the results. Some of you think you're in control of results. Some of you think you're in control of outcomes, like you're God. Are you God? Hello. <laughs> <laughs> this is hard. This is hard. God says, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to bring some pain in your life to break down your pride, to bring you to the end of your rope, because ultimately, here's what I want to do. I want to get with you. I want to get with you and do work in this broken, evil world. That's what I want to do. This is not a sermon, folks. I'm telling you, this is not a, this is not a talk. This is reality. This is bringing me, bring, me bringing you knowledge of what the heck is going on in this world. God wants to partner up with you to bring some relief, some help to this hurting, broken world. And he's looking for humble people to do it. So when Joseph says to his brothers, guys, bro, you, you left me in that ditch. You intended to harm me, but God, in the back of his mind, he had all kinds of good fixed up, you know, for me to do. Let me tell you what that is. Listen, he brought me to this position so that I could save the lives of many people. There it is, folks. There it is. God used pain and, and rejection and false accusations of rape and all of this stuff to bring me to this position where I'm number two in Egypt so that I can tell Pharaoh to save up a bunch of grain during the seven years of famine so there'd be plenty for the seven years. Uh, I got that backwards. So there'd be plenty for the seven during the seven years of famine so that we can save a lot of people. See, there was a purpose. There was a purpose. God has a purpose for your life. He wants to partner up with you to accomplish that purpose. He doesn't want to just hang out. Listen, I think Jesus likes to hang out. I really do. If you read the New Testament, you see him hanging out. You do. He's having food, and he's drinking wine, and he's hanging out with sinners, and he's having parties. Not all the time. Not all the time. But he liked to hang out. Just read the the Bible. He's there. In fact, he did it so much they called him a glutton and a drunkard. That was the nickname he got in the Bible. So I'm not saying that Jesus doesn't want to hang out with you. I hang out with him all the time. But then after he's done hanging out, after he's done chilling with you, he says, are you ready to die then? Because that neighbor of yours, they're hurting and they need some encouragement. You ready to go? That family is trying to adopt that kid. They don't have enough money. Let's get into some of that cash I've been blessing you with. Right? You know that friend that you have that you had that little falling out? We need, we, need to, we, need to, we need to practice some forgiveness. Let, you ready to go? Ready to go? And there is work that he wants to do through your life. And he's waiting for you to come to the end of self-reliance. He's waiting for you to come to the end of your rope. Years ago, God taught me this in a very painful way. I became the senior pastor of this church in 2006, took over for the founding pastor, Jim Devaney, 1977. He founded the church. At that particular time, the church was doing very well. We were a traditional church, Um, running about 2,100 folks here at the church. Some of you were there. In fact, how many of you were there in 2006? Okay, most of you were not. I took over. I was 28 years old, very passionate about Jesus. And I thought it would be a great idea, a great leadership decision, just to change everything. Anybody ever been in a church where they change everything? I mean, when I say change everything, I mean like... We had like twenty chandeliers on the ceiling. Remember the chandeliers? They were <coughs> atrocious. <laughs> we had this green carpet up in here, and we had these this choir with all these you know sixty person choir with these bright red robes. We had the King James version of the Bible. We had the whole we had the whole traditional thing going on, right? And that's just not who I am. We had a pulpit. Remember pulpits? They used to have pulpits in church. The preacher would stand behind the pulpit. Nothing wrong with pulpits. Just, just not, not, not who I was. I, I wear jeans and, you know, whatever. Not just no suit and tie. And so I just decided, it was a brilliant leadership decision, let's change everything. And the church went from like 2200, 2100 down to 900. It was a fascinating ride downward. and there were a couple moments there with my wife and I, actually there were more than a couple, where my wife and I would look at each other and said, uh, God's not in this. We have totally screwed this up. I suck. As a pastor, I have no idea what I'm doing. Less bolt. And there were a few moments in our marriage where we thought, that's the right thing to do. There's too much pain. Everybody who's here, who raised their hand in 2006, everyone, every person who raised their hand, including myself, lost dear friends who went to other churches you talk about pain brilliant leadership right and i thought god you're either in this or not in this and it was in that a couple of moments where god said to me danny did did i not give you a vision to see people who are far from god come to christ and grow in christ yeah you did Okay, okay i'm i'm in you have to understand i'm in this pain Yeah, you made some goofed up decisions, and you probably went way too fast, but I'm in this pain. And so we hung in there, and we hung in there, and we hung in there, and attendance got lower and lower, and finances went lower and lower, and I sat through every single one of our dismissals, seven total. I remember every single one of them, 28 years old, firing people that were old enough to be my parents. You talk about pain. And God said, are you at the end of your rope yet? And I finally said, I'm done. I'm the limp person in the lake. Save me, I'm drowning. No, I'm drowning. I have nothing left. I've got no more wisdom. I've got no more strategy. I've tried, I pulled out every trick with our team. Here, let's try this. Let's try this. Let's do that. I'll preach better sermons. We'll get better music. We tried everything. Nothing stopped the bleeding. Some of you remember that. Until we finally got to the end of the rope and said okay jesus i'm going to stay no matter what happens and we even got down to i'm not kidding and the staff will tell you this we all looked at each other and said i'll i'll part time at starbucks we'll we'll cut everybody's salaries in half i've always wanted to work at starbucks anyway <laughs> cuz you get like a free pound of coffee every week did you know that what a deal I'll work half time at Starbucks. I'll preach half time. We'll split everybody's salaries. And that's, we'll, we'll just, we'll just, if this thing goes down to 200 people, it's fine because Jesus is in this. And we just made that decision and we gave up. And that's when people started bringing their friends. And here's, here we are, 2013. We've got three campuses. We only reach about 5,000 people almost every weekend. It's unbelievable what God is doing across our three campuses. People are coming to Christ and growing in Christ every single week. All glory to Jesus. All glory to Jesus, right? <laughs> The reason I can't take credit for that or the staff can't take credit for that is because we gave up. We said, this isn't us. We don't know what we're doing. We have, we don't, we don't, know when. we can't say, hey, we did that. Nope, no no patting on the back. It's like, okay, God, you took over. You took over. My question to you today is very simple. Will you allow the pain to harden your heart or humble your heart? I've made the choice in my life. Here's, Here's why. Because... I know, I know, it's a guarantee that this is what my life is going to look like. I'm only 39 years old, so in the future, I've got a long, hopefully a long life to live. This is going to happen multiple times. I've already made the decision ahead of time that when this happens, I'm not going to doubt God. I'm not going to push God out. I'm going to come low and say, Jesus, you're in this. You're in this. And I trust you. I trust you with my life. I've already made that decision. What what kind of decision will you make? Will you let the pain harden you or humble you? Because here's what you have to remember. God wants to partner up with you to fulfill his will in this world. That's your choice today. Let me close by saying this. You know, we've talked a lot about drawing close to God, treasuring God, seeking God, fearing God. Today we talked about allowing pain to bring you low because God wants to partner with you. But you want to know what the foundation or or, or or what makes drawing close to God even possible to begin with? You wanna know what that is? It's the blood of Jesus Christ. I know that sounds weird. Blood, oh, that's gross. Some of you can't even look at blood. I understand. I understand. It's the blood of Jesus Christ that even opens up the opportunity for you and I to come close. Listen to what Paul said in Ephesians 2. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who are once far off, once once separated from God, you have now been brought, say it with me, near. You've been brought near by what? By being a good person, by coming to church, putting some money in the bucket as it passes by, telling the truth, you know, getting your act together, getting off drugs, quit quitting the cheating. No, he doesn't say any of that. You have been brought near because of the blood of Jesus Christ. He stretched out his arms and he allowed himself to be crucified. He had to be crucified because there's nothing you could do to fix the problem of being far from God. He had to spill his blood so that your sin and my sin could be washed away. We don't draw close to God because we get our act together. No, 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 no. There's nothing that you and I can do to, to start that relationship. We must trust in the blood of Christ to wash away all our sin. Today, today, I'll give you that opportunity. In fact, I'm not giving it to you. It's Jesus. God, Jesus has given you the opportunity. He's, he would say to you today through my feeble voice, would you trust in my blood? Would you, would you come near today because of the sacrifice of my body that I allowed to be broken for you so you could be forgiven of your sins would you would you receive that gift of grace today he would say and if you would say yes I want to then then what he would say to you is you know it takes the faith of a child not the faith of a giant intellectual theologian the faith of a child to say Jesus I trust you I trust you today in what you did for me you died for me on the cross you rose again So, I could be forgiven. If you'd like to step into that grace, if you'd like to receive that gift of eternal life right now, just pray this simple prayer. You close your eyes, you bow your head. Take these words of mine, make them yours. Place your confidence and trust in Jesus today. Say this to Him Dear Jesus, I trust you. I believe you spilled your blood for me by dying on the cross. Wash away all my sin, my guilt, my shame. Cleanse me. Make me as white as snow. From this day forward, teach me to follow you. Teach me to obey you. In all things, I want to walk closely with you. I want to experience joy and peace in the midst of a difficult life. I give my life over to you today. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. If you just prayed that simple prayer, first of all, we would like to rejoice with you. Wouldn't we, guys? We'd like to rejoice with you. And here's the deal. We would like you to have a gift on your way out. We would like to put a one-year New Testament in your hands, totally free of charge, if you pray to receive Christ today. Here's why. This book, I'm telling you, this book is transformative. This is what this book says about this book, that we are transformed by the renewing of our mind. That's what this book says about it. This book says that your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. This book shows us how to live right, how to get right, how to stay right in our life. So when I say you need to get a copy of this, you really do. And you need to to begin reading it. Because here's what's true about reality. You ready? Here's why this earth is still here as opposed to not here. Here's why Christ hasn't come back yet to take us home. Because God is in the process of overcoming evil with good by transforming human hearts. That's what he's doing by turning you into a Christ-like person. Because if you become a Christ-like person, guess what happens in your home? Guess what happens in your marriage? There's a sweetness. There's a gentleness that takes over. There's a love that that fills that home. And guess guess who that impacts? Come on, guess who that impacts? Your babies, your kids. And all that love and that goodness and that sweetness and that marriage that comes from Christ-like character starts to spill out on them and then they start slowly (laughs) but surely becoming like Christ. And then that spills off into their teammates and their classmates at school. God is overcoming evil with good through the transformation of souls. Guess how that transformation happens? By taking his word and reading it every single day. And so if you pray to receive Christ today, please go grab one of those Bibles. Let's one more time give glory to Jesus. Amen. Amen. I've made the choice. I've made the choice. When the pain comes into my life, to let it take me down to the end of my rope so that God will partner up with me to perform his will in this world. Will you make that choice? I hope you do. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. It gives us insight for living. It teaches us how to deal with pain and struggle. and It teaches us what's going on in the world today. In the midst of political uh situations, difficulties in our country, terrorism, and all this, all the, all the stuff, all the junk that's going on in our world. We know, we know that you are in the process of overcoming all of that by transforming our hearts. Let that transformation begin in this place, in our hearts, and we will give you all the glory. It's in Christ, and we pray. Next week, we start a brand new series called Love is a Verb. You're not going to want to miss it. Bring a friend. See you next week.